If you love this podcast and love easy and informative CEUs, then this is the deal for you. SpeechTherapyPD.com has over 175 hours of pod courses on demand with an average of 19 new pod courses released each month. You can get ASHA continuing ed credit for every episode you listen to. And because I think you're terrific, I can offer $20 off a year's subscription when you use my code SUP20 for the insanely low rate of $59. Welcome to the Speech Uncensored podcast, your source for all things medical speech and language pathology related. Um, I'm sitting down with Sarah Vaca today to talk about finding your niche in the field and what value that you can bring to it. Um, once you kind of find that little niche, um, your niche might be like exploring board certification. It might be getting um, a certification in another area or creating, creating something um, that wasn't there before. So Sarah's going to talk to us about uh, her path and her ideas for how we can do a self-assessment of our current skill set, discover and build passion and value into our current skill set, and then ways that we can apply it and then what we might hope to see from it. So I'm Leanne Porter, your host. This is the Speech Uncensored Podcast, and now let's hear from Sarah. Welcome back to the Speech Uncensored Podcast. I'm Leanne. I'll be your host today. And I am pleased to share the microphone with Sarah Vaca today. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Leanne. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, it's a beautiful day outside. Can't complain. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Me too. And I'm super pumped for our topic today. Um, I think this is going to be really fun. We're going to be covering finding your niche in the SLP field and what that experience has looked like for you. Um, I like love this topic because as an outpatient SLP, I feel like a generalist. So I don't feel like I get that opportunity to specialize in something. But the more I thought about that coming up to this episode, I was like, you know what? Like I can specialize. I'm specializing right now. Like I made a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <I'm not my laughs> <niche>. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it doesn't have to be super speech related and it, it's very specialized in one little area of our field. It can be many of our different skills that we don't think about when we apply to our profession. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sometimes it just takes thinking outside of that box to find out what you like and how to marry it to what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And I just thought of another example. Um, I know a couple SLPs who um, have private practices, and then they work to enable other SLPs to learn how to start their own private practice. So that's a niche they've carved out for themselves and being a support system to other SLPs in becoming private practice company owners. So like, that's a niche, you know, that's like a very special skill set that I think is fun. So I'm really excited to explore this with you and like just blow people's minds about all the different things that we can do in this field. Even though we're not going to be talking about every single different thing, like hopefully it will give people cause to like stop and like consider the options and get creative and just take a leap of faith and try something. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Even if it just gets those wheels turning in your mind about, I can do something or I could look into this more or I've never thought about, that wouldn't be actually that hard to do at all. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, Sarah. Well, before we jump more into our topic, I want to know a little bit more about you. Um, Tell me about your setting, your favorite populations and what you specialize in or what your niche is. Okay, so I'm I'm Sarah Vaca, like you said before. Um, everyone usually remembers my name because it sounds like vodka without the D, so it's how everyone remembers. Um, I've been practicing in speech pathology for over a decade now, and I've I've dabbled in most of the adult settings. So inpatient, outpatient. I've spent a lot in the skilled nursing as well as home health. And currently, I am doing mobile fees in Northeast Ohio. So in a way, that's, that's part of my, my niche is that I love doing swallowing diagnostics and instrumentals and helping people understand what's going on and help guide them into a treatment plan or, or what their options are or what is the issue or not our issue at all. So I'm not picky about the population other than they have concerns for their swallowing. Nice. (laughs) All right. So what led you down this path of um, exploring an area to specialize in or an area to focus your practice? Sure. So I think it started when I was in my skilled nursing home health days and I would have limited connections with some other speech colleagues at either in the skilled nursing or when I was in home health um, relations with the, the hospital speech therapist. And they would acknowledge, oh, you know so much about dysphagia, you know what to do, you seem so knowledgeable. And internally, that's not how I felt at all. I didn't have that confidence And I took this hard, hard, painful look in the mirror and realized that even though my colleagues thought I was knowledgeable, I couldn't tell you the the cranial nerves or what was the current evidence-based practice. And the, the two weren't meshing. And I wasn't comfortable with that, especially when I knew that I was capable of so much more and that I knew I should be doing more for these patients. So I decided to look into pursuing board certification to help fulfill what my colleagues believed in me, but to also gain that inner confidence and to to fix what I knew could have been better, to help serve our patients and to get them the outcomes that they deserve. So I looked in, gosh, I don't know. It is very... It's very challenging to look at yourself and it's not as easy as just saying, here's a list of the things I'm really good at and here's the list of things that I can do better. Because reading reading into this and, and research is telling us that we don't always give ourselves the most accurate and best assessment of our own skills. So, you know, I had to go out and ask for honest feedback. I had to look at 
how my patients were performing over the length of treatments, their gains that they were made compared to other therapists and their patients and realize there, there's some gaps that I could be doing better. Sarah, how did you get that honest feedback? Like, did you just go up to a colleague and say, hey, I need you to be honest with me? <laughs> in the moment, did you send them like a Google form to fill out? <laughs> that would be like the easiest thing to do. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh... Some of it, I mean, it's not that direct conversation. I'm sure that that would work for some and some have that relationship. Sometimes it was simply just asking a question of, you know, I'm kind of struggling with, with Mrs. Smith here and I'm not quite understanding and waiting for that therapist to kind of give me feedback of, well, you didn't consider this or, you know, what what was your rationale for XYZ. So I, I started to pick up on how they were approaching assessment and treatment and comparing it to what I was used to doing. So I used some of that modeling to gauge my own performance. Oh my gosh, that is so good. Because I think one thing I've realized in having these conversations with other SLPs is like how I am way too direct. Like I don't know <laughs> talk around something. Like if I'm like, Oh, I need to know how to do better. I'll just ask how to do better. <laughs> but and that puts that person on the spot. Right. And it's so yes. uncomfortable. And I'm just over here. Like what I would tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I so and, special. So. And I, I've been reading up on that. And when we get put on the spot, we tend to focus on, uh, the person's personal qualities. So you would tend to get a response like, oh, well, you care so much about your patients or you're really kind to them. I'm like, but that doesn't answer my question. Yeah. So I really like how you framed it in the way that where you ask a question, like, um, how did you say it? Like, would you ask like, uh, what would you have done in with this patient? Or what did I miss when working with this patient? So would you take a patient that you were still working with or like somebody like as a like retrospective look? Uh, it kind of depended on the situation and patient. Um, again, part of that is being open to criticism. So like I can look back now and, you know, it, there was a, a current patient at the time where I just, I, I wasn't unsure of myself and I didn't know how to ask an approach on that patient. So I would fall back to somebody that I had previously that maybe showed the same characteristics. Um, having done that and have grown a little more, I'm more comfortable at asking about current patients and given my take on here's what I saw or here's what I'm thinking, would you do things differently? Or is there something or a different approach that I should be asking or using if it should come up in the future? Um, particularly with, with fees, it, it's kind of a, you see that patient and then you don't really get to follow up for intervention. So in my current case, it's usually about how can I do better in the future versus what can I do with that next session for the patient? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, gosh, I think I had another question. Um, so you talked about um, 
kind of doing a self-assessment and asking for feedback and gleaning that feedback to identify areas that were gaps that you knew you needed to fill um, with higher quality information, education, and application. So once you kind of did a the self-assessment, what was the next step? So with deciding to pursue board certification, I saw it as, as two main areas. One was continuing education, and the other big component is um, professional activities. So beginning this journey, I saw continuing ed as the easier step to start my focus on, particularly since I I was one of those speech therapists where I had it worked out that I only needed 10 hours of continuing ed a year, and I'm not getting 11, and they better be F-R-E-E. I don't care what topic they cover. <laughs> I've changed my ways since then. <laughs> I love it. Like I just appreciate how you know yourself and you're honest. Like, yay, I feel a kindred spirit. <laughs> yes. I, I'm far from the perfect SLP, that's for sure. Um, but continuing ed had that passive component to it. So I can sit and really absorb that information and I didn't feel so on the spot to know all the answers, especially when I knew that I didn't have a lot of answers. So starting that process in helping to rebuild my foundation, obviously with, with dys dysphagia being my focus because it's what my board certification is going for, um, it really opened my eyes on changing how to approach assessments, how you know diet recommendations, interventions, and having that foundation gave me more confidence to start implementing more professional activities, which I think has really led, has benefited me both as a clinician and as a person, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So can you give me some examples of I'm how they describe professional activities? Like what are they anticipating the person applying for the board certification to do, to start doing, or to have been doing leading up to the application process? Yeah, it's it's not like a one or two month type process. They are definitely looking for this sustained ongoing activity that goes above and beyond your current duties at your job. So they are looking at you know, how well can you relate to your colleagues, um, interdisciplinary collaboration, how are you connecting with the community, um, local, state, national level. So it's really pushing yourself outside of just your own little therapy department. What were some things that you were doing and then maybe also started doing to kind of fill those requirements for that professional interactions? So I, I think I really took that opportunity to explore every avenue that became available to me. So before I started that, I knew very few speech colleagues. I wasn't really connected beyond my little zip code. And I knew that that needed to change. And I worked to 
start building a network of therapists. So one of the things that a colleague and I did was start a journal club, uh, partly to help spread that evidence-based practice because it's not as widely spread as I personally would like in our area. (laughs) And, And just give speech therapists an opportunity to be exposed to that research, to ask questions and help get their own feedback on and compare what they're doing versus what other speech therapists are doing, kind of collaborate and honestly build a a network. One of the biggest frustrations, at least in our area, is sharing instrumental reports. So nobody really understands who the speech therapist was at the level above them or who they might be passing the patient on at their next level of care. So connecting those speech therapists together was important to me. Um, Beyond that, I started looking at opportunities to practice my public speaking skills. I'm sure I'm like many in that speaking in public terrifies you. And I knew that if I wanted to expand my personal growth. I wanted to expand my skills and I wanted to push myself out of my little complacent com- complacent comfort zone that I needed to do things that terrified me in some sort of way. So I went out and I became a volunteer for the Alzheimer's Association and became a community educator. So part of that entails small group education with the community. And it started with um, just their preset programs. So understanding what Alzheimer's is, knowing the 10 signs, managing behaviors, managing communication skills. And that seemed right up my alley. Those are topics that speech therapists, we talk with all the time. Um, And I and I, I think later we'll we'll talk about maybe those unintended, unintentional surprises or perks that came out of that. <laughs> but um, other things that I did was I wrote a, a journal article to our state association peer review peer reviewed journal. So I got to dabble in what it's like to do the the literature review and and put something evidence based together and go through that peer review process and um, each one of these little activities I met either a new professional or a new avenue to explore so through the journal club I met a uh, colleague who works in academia and now we're collaborating to put together a study looking at transitional foods. So like before this whole process, like, none of these ideas would have occurred to me that they were avenues that I could look into or explore. And I learned a lot more about myself and what I like to do, which surprisingly is I really like speaking to small groups. I like spreading what we do and empowering the community to know what we do, when to ask for us, and what questions to ask if they ever do need our services so that they can get the best care possible. That is so awesome. I really love hearing how 
taking this step to improve how you felt about your own personal, you know, competency and working with dysphagia, for example, has led to career development and personal satisfaction in all these other areas. Like it's really had this ripple effect. Absolutely. Like I can't, I can't even think about the, the clinician or, or the person that I've used to be because it, it's so different. Like now I see an offer for continuing ed. I'm like, well, why wouldn't I take that if it's in my schedule? <laughs> that is a really neat topic. I want to know more about that. And it's That's so cool, Sarah. That's really yeah. telling. You know, in your first introduction, you were like, I was that person who was like, okay, Asha needs 30 continuing ed units over three years. That's 10 hours a year. I will do exactly 10 hours a year. You better bet they're free. I don't care if they're related to what I do or not. They're free. I'm doing my requirement. I'm moving on with life. Till now you're like, Ooh, that looks fun. Oh, I'm free right then. I'll go do that continuing ed. Like that's a huge shift. <laughs> That's probably why earlier today I was learning about total laryngectomy strictures and spasms. <laughs> yeah. Probably not something I would have done a few years ago. Right? Like, you know, how frequently would you need to apply something like that to the work you're doing now um, doing fees? So we do come across our fair share of head and neck cancer. So I like knowing a lot about all of the etiologies that dysphagia can be associated with because I tend to be that that first sight, eyes on, on the issue. So knowing what to expect or what may trigger. So knowing how to adjust my own exam to see if I can trigger a certain reaction that might indicate, hey, we need to get this special referral going on that the SLP couldn't see at bedside or the, even the physician wasn't even considering at that moment. So I, I feel that it's important for us to, to know a lot <laughs> to be able to help refer and know where to direct our treatment. <clears throat> Yeah, I agree with you. That's a very common refrain I'm hearing across these interviews in like all disciplines, all areas of practice, um, that we are sometimes the first time that the patient is having someone look inside their mouth. So we might be the first people to identify something abnormal occurring there. And we need to know, is this a referral to um, a dentist, to back just to primary care, to a neurologist? Like, where do we need to send this person to get expedited care for them for whatever is happening inside their mouth. So as an example. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't believe how many times I get referrals for, you know, this patient stopped eating. We don't know what's going on. And we, we place the scope and we find that there's a pretty significant airway obstruction or there is just irritation everywhere. And you kind of need some medical management before we come back to do some dysphagia work. But okay, because I'm really nosy. What are some of those like airway obstructions that you see? Uh, a lot of them are related to trach placements that we tend to see. Um, so just uh, our vent dependent patients, I tend to see them a lot in, or if there was a traumatic intubation 
going on or prolonged intubation before the trach, um, we'll, we'll tend to see just big old obstructions, granulomas in the trachea, sometimes on the vocal fold itself. Okay. And so does that equate to like pain with swallowing sometimes? And so they're less inclined to eat or drink or they just, it interferes with, um, um, breathing. And so they don't want to interrupt breathing as much by eating and drinking. Yeah. A lot of times they won't tolerate wearing a speaking valve for long or, Sometimes it does interfere with the swallow to the point where maybe the speech therapist is seeing some sort of signs at bedside that's telling them, hey, I noticed this cough after every every trial we do. And it's sometimes it's related to aspiration. Sometimes it's just um, sensation, like they feel something's there and they're they're not wrong. <laughs> but it's also not there, but it's food. Not, yeah. All right. Okay, good. Thank you. I appreciate that little sidetrack there. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about starting off with a, um, a real open look at your skill set to identify where those gaps are. Um, once you did that, you decided to go towards board certification and swallowing. Um, do you want to like brainstorm? Like what are some other routes that people may go down once they do the self-assessment? Like what are other things people can do? Um, like to, to help look for their, their own niche or to kind of apply what they've learned through, through their own discovery. Maybe like a little bit of both. Okay. Like why would they learn, um, to find that niche to like, I don't know. Yeah, sure. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, finishing up with finding yourself and finding what you like to do. I, I think that goes back to n- knowing yourself. So whether that is just following speech therapists on social media to kind of get an idea for what they're doing or knowing that, you know, I am really good at, I don't know, take your pick and and just going down that avenue or this shiny new object looks fun today. Let's learn more about it and see if that's something that I want to try and incorporate into my daily life or to pick up outside of my own. I know that's that's a challenge for some people and we're all at a different spot and it all looks different. Um, but once, for me, like I said earlier, once I realized that I really like small group education and I like educating, whether it's speech therapists or com- the community, I now really gravitate towards projects that let me do that. So circling back a bit with the Alzheimer's Association and working with them and presenting their program education, they actually got to see and learn more about what speech therapy is about, the services we offer, how we relate 
to Alzheimer's and dementia care. And it actually has led into me being able to develop in their own new program on dysphagia and feeding. And this was a gap they didn't even realize that they had this need for education. So being able to take our own skills in speech therapy and then put it through my personal like uh, of education, it allowed me to marry those two together and really provide a service for the community. Um, I, I really think it's important for the community to not only know what we do, but to be able to have that environment for learning that's outside of a current hospitalization. We, we all know that there are a lot of decisions to be made in the hospital. There's a lot of new changes to routine. There is a lot going on. And then for us to walk in and be like, hi, my name's Sarah. I'm your speech therapist. And they're like, I'm already on information overload. Anything you tell me, my bucket's overflowing and I'm not going to remember it. So having that more relaxed environment, I think really helps them remember what we can do for them. Yes, that is so true. I'm really glad you made that point. Um, I've heard in other conversations with SLPs that some of the most enriching experiences they've had personally and professionally has been when they have partnered and joined with community groups. And so I've really enjoyed hearing how you were able to add so much value to that particular local Alzheimer's group by identifying together you know, a gap they didn't even know they had and all the value that that group is going to get from that and in the future. Like, that's so incredible. That's not really? something you can plan. That's <laughs> no. like the beauty of stepping outside of that box, challenging yourself and seeing the amazing results. Like, that is so cool. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would have never dreamed that any of this would have happened, but I'm completely grateful that it did. Because I, like you said, it, it's servicing the community. It's filling this gap. I get my own little personal benefit from it, from my growth and, you know, warm, happy feelings. And everybody wins in that situation. That's true. That's true. But if you hadn't decided to step outside of your comfort zone and really challenge yourself to go beyond those 10 continuing ed units <laughs> a year and to step outside your comfort zone and to do small group public speaking, you know, none of these amazing things would have happened. So it, it just takes that, that first step, that decision that I'm going to do something that makes me mildly uncomfortable, but that's okay. Like the rewards are double fold, triple fold, a hundred fold, you know, the discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, that's called growing pains for a reason. And I've, <laughs> I've learned that having that discomfort is usually a, a gut sign for me that this is an opportunity to explore or a chance to grow. And it's, it's okay if I don't like that afterwards, or it's an avenue that I'm like, yeah, it was great, but it's not my favorite. You know, it's not, and that's okay. I can go back to this is where I'm comfortable or, you know, because I did that, I met somebody new and now I found a better fit for my skills. So it's just. Yeah. 
I, I like that, that you said that. I think it's important to recognize that every time we step outside of our comfort zone, isn't going to be a home run hit, you know, like it, it could end in disaster and flames <laughs> or like, no, there. I'll, uh, not pursue that anymore. And that just gives us more information on how to apply ourselves in the future and finding that niche, that area where we can contribute, where we can grow and learn and um, flourish and nourish, as I like to say. At the That's end of right. Episode. That's right. And just because something didn't work the way you anticipated the first time doesn't mean that you can't retool it and, and reapproach it again. Um, I, I had that happen to me, too, when I applied to a, a community association here to present just to the community in general on what is dysphagia, um, how can it affect all these different disciplines and having respiratory come in and dietary and physical therapy. And the association was like, mm, no, we don't think that that's going to be of an interest to the community. We don't see a need for that we're not going to go that route. I'm like, I'm heartbroken. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that it can't happen again down the line, or maybe it takes a different format to help them see the community as a whole can really benefit from this education and having an opportunity to talk to uh, these professions that they, professionals that they may not have access to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. All right. Okay. So my next question is, how can we discover and build this passion that we have? And how can we bring that into our current skill set? I think we've kind of touched on this here and there. So let's really give like those explicit connections here now. Sure. Uh, so I, I think once you've gone through those steps of Knowing where your skill set is, knowing, hey, I know that I need more education or more practice in this topic or with this specific skill, identifying what your career goals are and where your setting is and looking for opportunities. So whether that is starting a lunch and learn within your department or when the the docs are in or um, when new nursing is being oriented, having that say if that's one of your skills or maybe it's more community-based, whether professionally wise and just starting something. A lot of it is if you see something and it's not already there, don't be afraid to start it. <laughs> Yeah. See a need, consider filling it. Like yeah. explore it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a hundred percent perfect before you start something or, you know, I can't start it because I'm not a hundred percent proficient in it, or I can't do that because I don't have all of these resources. Start small and work with what you got. And I, I think it's even better when you're all learning together mm -hmm. and having that motivation. I mean, that's pretty much how I started this podcast. 
I didn't know anything about the technology side of things. I had to have a lot of help there and then just learn as I tried it out. Like when I first started, I didn't know how to do remote interviews. I could only ask people over to my house and set up the microphone and record the two of us together. Like that's how I had to start. I had to start somewhere. So I started there and then learned as I went along. Mm -hmm. And I definitely did not ever once consider myself the expert on any topic I've ever covered (laughs) in the podcast. That was the whole reason for it was to learn and to share Mm -hmm. that information. And so like I knew that those were my gaps. Like I had technology gaps. I had um, expertise gaps. And so... That wasn't, you know, the point of this podcast. The point of the podcast was to share that information and then develop it and, and progress it. Yeah. With experience. So and, the, the podcast has definitely changed and morphed <laughs> over time and it will continue to. And, and that's so, fine. Yeah. Yeah. If I had waited till I knew everything about podcasting or how to, you know, do remote interviews, we would still be waiting for this podcast. <laughs> We'd have flying cars. And <laughs> no, and I, I, I agree. I've experienced that same thing too, is that to grow professionally, I've learned that I've had to develop a lot of skills and learn about a lot of things that I wouldn't necessarily say were speech pathology. Like you said, that technology component, um, you know, when, when COVID hit, we had to change all of our journal connections and meetings to online and figuring that out and learning just a lot of secondary skills that you find ways like, oh, I could have used that to treat Mrs. Smith better or understand or grasp a topic better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that side of stepping outside of your comfort zone and exploring other skill sets that either you are strong in or you're not. And you also need to build that set up into like I think of people who are really creative and really uh, crafty or artistically inclined and design enabled, you know, like they just they just get all of that stuff and they can create really awesome, beautiful resources to share with other SLPs um, or people who are very organizational minded. And so they're able to like generate business plans, you know, like there are so many other skills that if you have a passion outside of the field, you, I feel like it's possible to marry those things yeah. within the field as well. Yeah, and you can. And I think volunteering is a really great first step into kind of exploring those designing, those business organization type skills. Um, I've done work with the Dysphagia Outreach Project. I know that you've had a previous episode on that too. So I know your listeners are a little familiar with it, but that's been a fabulous outlet for me to kind of explore that creativity. Do I want to do it every day as a living? No, probably not. But the the little bit of work that I get, I really love doing because it's just the right amount of creativity and um, responsibility. (laughs) So yeah, there's other outlets to to explore there without that nine to five commitment. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Ooh, I love that. Um, I feel like all of this really ties in well with the feelings of chronic stress and burnout that we experience in our field. 
And, you know, if I were to tell Leanne a few years ago, like, you're going to start a podcast and it's going to be a ton of work. Um, and it will drive you like up a wall with the amount, like the workload. But at the end of the day, the professional growth and the personal growth that will result from it, like you would never trade it for the world. I would be like, girl, you crazy. Like, <laughs> that doesn't sound like anything I want to be a part of. Like, I don't like learning hard lessons. <laughs> Nobody does, but there, there's a reason why we need to learn those lessons. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the ability to contribute to the field and to enrich my colleagues' professional lives as well is what I find so rewarding and what stems the tide from feeling burnt out in my nine to five job. Like I have so much like, um, like passion for this field because I'm doing things outside of my nine to five. And I think that's really key. Yeah. Yeah. Having that, that ability to do work that's outside of of your outpatient setting or outside of, of scoping and, having that outlet where it's not one specific focus 24 seven and letting you just have some time to catch your breath or reflect or practice a new skill, right? Learning a new hobby or a new skill, why it has that learning curve and frustration. There's that new excitement to it. I, I, I know that I'm not doing super great at this, but I'm going to keep on going and I'm going to get this. And you look back and you're like, huh, that wasn't there before, or that's something that I did, or I, I changed somebody's way they, they think or improved somebody's life. And that, that makes it a little easier to sleep at night, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's where we get that, that satisfaction that we're looking for in our career. Um, and I think it's reinvigorated how I approach my nine to five as well. And so it's not like I only get satisfaction from the things that I do outside of my nine to five. It has in the things I do outside of my nine to five has enriched my nine to five. So that's been really, really helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Or, well, like you said, with the riching, I can pull off, you know, I was talking to the speech therapist and she had this really interesting patient and then it never fails that I'll see similar characteristics or I can't explain it, but usually in that near future, a similar patient will pop up and be like, I've seen this, or we just talked about this, or I just had a class on this. I just read up on this. And you kind of get that excitement. Like I got this. I know this. Mm. Yeah. I've seen that happen too. It is super spooky. (laughs) Like one of my favorite examples is um, at a holiday party, I was talking with another outpatient SLP and I was like, Hey, what's like your favorite little niche? You know, funny that we're talking about that today in our field. Like what's like that one diagnosis that comes across your desk and you get really jazzed about. And she was like, Christmas, which is like a part of a, issue that will happen in head and neck cancer right. with patients' jaws. And I was like, that is super specific. <laughs> Tell me more. And so we spent like, you know, 20, 30 minutes just talking about Christmas at a holiday party. Like, cause we're nerds and we love it. Right. It's what yes. happens. 
I kid you not, a week or two later, I get a referral for a patient primary diagnosis, Trismus. And I was like, this is Friday. Right. But you know, like, okay, well, I can pull from that conversation. I can pull from my background and I know who to contact if I have questions or I need to refer out. And I just love that ability to connect and make you feel more empowered about handling whatever walks through your door that day. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm like a big proponent of networking and meeting other SLPs and and just talking about what they like to do. And then going back and using them as a resource if they don't mind. Um, It's so, so helpful. That was not something I was doing at the beginning of my practice. And that really made me feel isolated in my practice. And I didn't need to feel that way. We can be really connected. Um, It just takes, for me, it took stepping outside of my comfort zone and having those conversations with people, meeting people. Like I am... Surprisingly enough, very much an introvert. So (laughs) just striking up a conversation with somebody, not easy for me. Like somebody else. And then I will dominate the conversation. But until then, you have to break the ice. (laughs) Same girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I know uh, as newer clinicians, struggle with that just as much as experienced clinicians do too, is just knowing who is my network. And I think sometimes we expect a network just to fall into our lap. You know, here's your assigned group of SLP friends. It's not that way. It does take a bit and it, it grows little by little. And having those quality contacts and having those resources is just phenomenal to have. It's vital to keep mm-hmm. growing. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm like all here for this conversation. Loving it. Okay. So um, to wrap up, is there like a takeaway that you would want our listeners to walk away from this talk with? Um, maybe a way to apply this skill set to bring value to our services or something that really stood out for you as you were going through this process in your professional life? Um, I would say the biggest takeaway that I had, I guess it's, it's a few is it's okay to not be where you thought you were or what your goals were. At least now you know where you are and where you want to end up. And to not not be afraid to have that terrified feeling about trying something new and getting stuck in those, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? Just trying something new, going outside of your normal comfort zone and, and finding more about you. And I think as you go through the that process, those opportunities to apply your value or apply your your niche, they're going to start popping up. You're going to start recognizing that path to use those skills. And it, it it's not something that happens overnight. You keep going. I'm still working on it. I probably will be until the day I retire and then it just changes focus. And I'll keep on going. But it, it's it's a journey and it is very worth going on that journey. So 
would you recommend people? Um, I was going to see, like, should I make this like a very general question or very specific question? I'm going to go specific. Would you recommend board certification specialist in swallowing to people? That That is a very specific specific question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, dysphagia is my rabbit hole and I'd love everyone to be completely 100% super duper competent in it. But I realize that that's not everybody's focus versus saying everyone should be board certification. I think that it would be worthwhile to look at their requirements and and seeing what their expectations are and then applying it to whatever is your field, whether that's early intervention, it's aphasia, it's voice. And I don't necessarily want to say like using as a benchmark, but maybe using as a framework or a guide you know, okay, maybe I need to really bump up my continuing education or even just springboarding ideas for developing professional skills. I mean, I get that not everybody is dysphagia all the time, (laughs) but I'm sure that they have passions in other areas of our field too. This R3 is not quite my cup of tea, AAC, but give me an aspirator any day of the week. (laughs) Um, Would someone need to be like, go through the whole process of becoming like board certified in whatever those different areas are? Like, do you think that's necessary for professional development? Um, Well, you know what? I say this because I'm not sure what the requirements are for um, swallowing, but I think it's like you, you get X amount of like treatment or evaluation, like exposure on an ongoing basis. And I don't know if I would meet that because I work 20 hours a week and dysphagia is just a portion of that hours. And I don't know if that would accumulate to be sufficient for their requirements. Um, so their current requirement is 350 hours per year for a minimum of three years. So, and it's uh, assessment and intervention combined. So it's not separated out. I think it averages to about six to seven hours per week. Oh, okay. <laughs> so maybe they were thinking of part-time people when they created this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That makes sense. Okay. That answered my question, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about your process, like what you've gone through and finding your niche and what that's resulted in professional development and career satisfaction and enrichment for um, community groups as well. That's just, it's really awesome to see that ripple effect. Thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. Yeah. We don't, we don't all need to be, uh, world famous research leaders, we can change our world in our own little corner with our own little passions and skills. So yeah, yes. thank That's you. That's such a beautiful and important message. Thank you so much for sharing it, Sarah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another edition of the Speech Uncensored podcast. 
Show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode are posted on speechuncensored.com. I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a thoughtful review on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to the hardworking team at speechtherapypd.com for their sweet editing skills and for sponsoring ASHA CEU credit for this episode. And finally, I'd like to leave you with my wish for you to nourish your mind so that your practice can flourish. 